it's good to be together. It's a, it's a little warm, but every now and then the, the breeze hits the windows and it feels glorious. So I hope that happens very often in the next few minutes. We're still in this Easter tide, this time after Easter where people were, were meeting the risen Jesus, right? And that's what we're talking about this year. And uh, we, we're going to just keep going right after where Pastor Kat was last week. She did a great job of talking about Peter really being reinstated and seeing whether he shrunk back into his old life or w- what all was going on. She explored that really well with us. If you weren't here, I encourage you to listen online it it was a gift to go through but we're gonna go to the very next verses um and so if you've got a bible or device with you and you want to look we're in john 21 and i want to tell you just up front if there's a pastoral concern that i have for us as a culture but larger than that for us as a church today addresses that and I don't often say that to you, right? Like, we, we don't do that very often. But if there's something that I think will, will rob us of this full life that God has for us, of this experience of knowing God at a deep level, it's, it's what we're talking about today. And so I'm not going to be long on it. I just hope that I'm clear. And more than that, I hope that the Holy Spirit is clear. This isn't a guilt kind of thing at all. But it is a like, hey, I think this is more serious than we realize. And so I want to pray and ask you to pray with me, and then we're going to look at this text, okay? So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the way that you, in your risen self, went and encountered all of these people, and their lives were transformed because of it, and we ask that today that you do that same thing in us today, now, in this space, in this time, that we would encounter you that we would feel even more clarity on what it looks like to be connected to you and maybe even let go of some things. So thanks in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're talking about living in light of the risen Jesus and how that impacts everything. But today we're specifically looking at how it impacts our relationships with one another. Because... Jesus coming down, being risen, transforming everything, should transform the way we handle one another, right? And so let's look at this text. We're going to start at 20. We're just going to look at 20 through 23. And I do encourage you to read it over a couple times as as I'm talking and see what you think. Um, Here's what it says in the NRSV. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. You can read on and there's some real important things next they look at this rumor that was in the early church of what that verse meant, and they, they refute it and say, no, it didn't mean he wasn't going to die. He died, all of this. At next, we see that it is really John's community that has written this, 
they start using we language and saying, like this is after he had died, and they add this last verse about how the whole world couldn't fill all the books. And remember that this is after Jesus had said to Peter, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, all of this like recommissioning, right? And what happens is, is that John, who, who nicknames himself, and what I once thought was an arrogant nickname, but, and maybe it was, but uh, what a great identity. He sees himself as, no, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Not saying that one isn't. Not saying that they're not, but that's my identity. That's who I am. So let's, let's at least say that 85% of that was a positive thing. And so he's writing of himself and probably as his community, the people who are close to him are, are writing this, compiling it. He's probably saying it. They're scribing it. It's probably a humble move to, to be kind of holding a little bit of difference there. But Peter and John have a story together, right? After this, they go do stuff in the early church, so it's good. It doesn't get ruined here, but they've got a story. Even in just this week, there's a little co- bit of competition. I don't know if you've picked up on this. You probably have, but like... Peter is there at the Last Supper eating with Jesus. That's pretty awesome. But John is laying on Jesus. It's a little bit closer. I eat with you guys a lot. I don't lay on you very often. Like, that's, we don't do that. They're they're pretty close. At the trial, Peter denies Jesus, and John is there at the trial. We have Peter running to the tomb, but in a really funny verse, it's really clear that John got there first, and it's really important to John that we know that John is swifter than Peter. He's faster. Peter, he, he, he dove in the water, right? He, when they're fishing in the, what Kat led us through last week, he dove into the water, but it was John who first recognized that it was Jesus. Peter acted on it, but John recognized And here, Peter looks behind after he's told that he should follow Jesus, and he sees that the disciple whom Jesus loved is already following him. There's a little bit of competition here. There's a little bit of John is a little further ahead, and I think if we're honest, many of us can relate to this, right? We know people who always seem to be exactly where we want to be going. They're already there. We see them in the grocery store, we talk for 10 minutes, then we get to the checkout, and somehow there are four people ahead of us, and they've got better coupons. This kind of thing happens in really silly ways, it happens in really deep ways. It happens with siblings, it happens with coworkers. all this kind of stuff. Just, we know people who seem to be where we want to be, and we're still friends with them, they're still in our life, but it, 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 they're like just, I don't know, they work like sandpaper a little bit. It just happens. Something changes when we bring that to Jesus, though. Something changes when we encounter Jesus in real ways and we have this thing with someone else. You see, Peter hears what Jesus has for Peter, but he wants to know what he has for John. One could say he's just curious, but I think one would be wrong if they said that he was just curious. At least this is a harmful curiosity. There's this song that 
that George Howard loves. Uh, you guys remember George? He, he would play this song by Jonathan McReynolds called Comparison Kills. And if you're wanting a song to, to listen on, it's, it's super pretty and super true. It's just when we compare ourselves to other people, it kills us. It might not harm them at all, but it kills us and stifles what God is doing in us. The truth is that jealousy robs us of the life that God has for us. And this is why I have concern. I don't think any of us are outright just mean and foaming at the mouth, mad at somebody or any of that, but jealousy creeps in. A a wishing that we had what someone else had or we knew what someone else knew or this comparison between us and them where we're weighing who's winning and who's losing. There's one thing to inspire one another, but it's a very other thing when jealousy comes in. And if there's a a weed that's going to ruin this little garden, as I've prayed about it, I, 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 I have concern about jealousy. Not that, again, not that any of y'all are, are bad. It's just, it's so prevalent in our culture. It's so easy. I mean, this is what the algorithms of social media are, right? That's what it promotes. I'm not saying you need to leave social media. I'm just saying if you're going to use it, be really smart. That what it's doing is saying, hey, here's some people to be jealous of. (laughs) What you like seems to promote that you like this, and they're really good at this. So you're six steps behind. I can't believe when I watch a basketball game how many things I want to buy after that basketball game. And I say that ads don't work, but I think I would be happier with that shoe and that hat. And then I buy that shoe and that hat, and it doesn't work. It's subtle little ways like that, but it's really deep, profound ways. We need to be attentive of the ways that jealousy sneaks in. Well, specifically what I'm talking about is I believe that Jesus wants to speak to you about your life with Jesus, and then you take that and live in a community. What starts to happen is we stop looking and listening to Jesus, and we look and listen to one another and wish that we had what they had. And wish that we lived how they lived and wish and start to pick why they shouldn't have it and why we should. And we just lose sight that Jesus is right there wanting to be with us. We're just not aware of it anymore. And it's social pressure stuff too, right? Uh, Kat and I went to a pastor conference a couple weeks ago. I noticed on the way up, I was all anxious. Why? Because I felt like I need to lie and say I had 500 people there every Sunday and like, 12 services and oh I'm so exhausted reality is I'm not exhausted I love my life I love being a pastor here but that doesn't play well when you're trying to impress one another it sneaks into every place it's in some conversations we're like are we doing enough are, are we enough uh, the problems are real we want to raise our kids well so then you feel like you need to do more to raise them well you it's always like we're starting four days behind But if God is with you in today, then you're not behind. You're not ahead. You're not behind. You're not to the left. You're not to the right. He's Emmanuel. He's with us. And so right where you are. So this is a real extreme version, but it's it's extreme in our culture right now. So we all heard of that horrible shooting in Buffalo yesterday, right? Part of where that came from was an 18-year-old man taking it upon himself 
to go into what's, what's called the great replacement theory. And if you Google it, you can Google it, but do not believe it, please. The great replacement theory is that there are white people who are losing power in this country from every other ethnicity, from every other space. And this is the way I, I read it that was most clear is it is as if there is just one pie to eat from and white people are losing pieces of the pie and we need to be terrified and it immediately goes to, to violence because the only way to stop that from happening is to eliminate other people, right? This is grotesque. It's horrible. It led to, I believe it's 10 people killed and 12 shot. And I, I watched this morning as this man pled not guilty. And it's, and it's in the news and it's, but here's the thing, the subtle versions of this great replacement theory is probably on your news feed at times. It's cast as a normal news story. We need to be really diligent and really wise about this. What it is is that scarcity. There is not enough. And so you need to be jealous and afraid of people who have. And if they have, you need to take from them or be certain that they're going to take from you and all this. No, we serve an abundant God. We serve a generous God. We serve a God who invites everybody to live into their full potential, and there's enough space for everyone. And so there's all of these subtle ways that we are jealous and comparing. And what we need right now is an encounter with Jesus so profound that we let go of those things. And what you have with Jesus is enough for you. And you come here and celebrate beside someone else who has something else with Jesus and another relationship with Jesus. And we come together and encourage one another and inspire one another and to remind one another that we have enough, like that song we just sang, right? That God is enough. And that there is plenty. But this requires some diligence because it is in, it's in articles that I get sent. It's in things that I'll see on the internet. This kind of thinking is kind of everywhere, one version or another. Our, our culture is a little bit built on it. We use it as fuel so that we could do better this week. If I'm jealous, then maybe I'll work harder. No, there's a better fuel. There's like Sabbath. There's trust. There's contentment. It's a better fuel. There's rest. There's joy. It's a better fuel. The other one burns up. And so a very real question for you. This is without guilt. This is without shame. This is for a better life. Who or what are you jealous of? I don't know that any of us should just uh, assume that we're not. Thank you. Who or what are we jealous of? Who are you comparing yourself to? And then if we're really honest, you, I mean, you can, but your hand might get a little sore. I'm going to go for a minute. <laughs> and then if we're really honest, is it worth it? And we need to ask ourselves if it's worth it. Because what we do is whatever we think is worth it, we keep doing that, right? And so we need to remind ourselves, no, that's not worth it. I know how to do it, but it's not worth it. 
I know how to be jealous. I know how to compare. I know how to be a little bit miserable in my life thinking this would fix it. But it's not worth it because I'm promised something different. I'm told there's something different, and I don't know how to do that yet, but I want to do that. Okay. That's the heavy part. We okay? Okay. Hope you didn't feel shamed or anything. But I do think it's super important that we look within ourselves on this. All right. So Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And then he says, follow me. That's the command that he was giving Peter this whole time, right? Okay, you all know I just finished Greek 2. I don't know that I passed it yet, but I finished it. I'm going to geek out on Greek for a little bit. In the verb of Greek, the pronoun is assumed. Okay, by the ending of the verb, you know what pronoun it is. And so you follow me is really just two words, one that means you follow and one that means me. And I've told you before, whatever word is first in the sentence is most important. Okay. But in our Greek Bible, if you go look it up, if you go pull one up on like Bible Gateway, you'll see that there's actually three words in this sentence. What Jesus says is you, you follow me. The first word is you. And then he says it again. You follow me. There's a huge emphasis on this. Like, hey, Peter, look here. Quit looking at him. You. I'm talking to you right now. I am the risen Messiah and I'm talking to you. Simon, Peter, whatever name you want, you, follow me. That's really important. And for you, God is so good that you, you, he wants to say something. And whatever he says to you, you, hold on to that one. And if it's different than somebody else's, then praise God. He's big enough to do different things. We should inspire each other in that instead of be comparing Jesus is with you. Do your journey and be a part of a community. That's what we're invited into. But just before Jesus does this you, you, follow me thing, he asks a question. He asks Peter, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And here's one other point that I want us to get, because I think a lot of us live in this space and because of that, we get some jealousy. And this is, this is what I want to say. There is great legitimacy to your life being about remaining in Jesus. And that's it. There doesn't have to be a hill to take. There doesn't have to be a mouth to feed, a sheep to tend. And it, that was Peter's call. And it was good for Peter because that's what you, you was given, right? And then what John was given is remain in me. John's job is to remain in Jesus. That's it. Remain in me. Where else do you guys know that phrase from? Does it stand out anywhere? You, you can answer if you know one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But you remain in me and you'll bear much fruit, Right? Okay, we all want to bear fruit. And what he says there is not go take a hill. Go find a cause. Go change the world. If that's what God has said to you, you, then go do it. But I think what he's saying to many of us is remain in me. 
Abide in me. Continue staying in me. Stay around in me. It is a worthwhile life. It's the life in Jeremiah 29 where they're in captivity and you want nothing but to get out and yet God says, build gardens. Seek the welfare of the city. Be present and be with me in this. Remain. It is this slow, methodical, refreshing life. Now we're kind of told in Christian culture, especially the one that many of us grew up in, we're told that you need to have this frantic following to be faithful, right? That you're not faithful unless you're exhausted for Jesus and you've your passport is full and somebody wants to get you. Okay, if that's the you-you that Jesus gave you to do, go ahead. Otherwise, I guarantee you it's going to cost you a lot of money, you're going to be really tired, and then you're going to be in therapy later. That's kind of how a lot of us find this place. Is we're like, hey, I tried that life. I was exhausted. Now I want to try something different. That's a little bit what we're doing. That's a great life if Jesus is leading you in it. That is a horrible one if you're trying to prove something. And it is filled with jealousy and comparison and all of that. Your invitation is to remain in him. This is what I know that my life is called to be. How do I know that? Like, how do we know what we're called to? Because I know that when I let my life be about just remaining in Jesus and being faithful to this community that I love, I'm less anxious. I'm more honest. I listen better. I feel like I'm discovering who I truly am. I'm able to let go of things and receive things much more freely without feeling like I have to hoard or earn. Instead, like, no, okay. This is it. We're in a building that's hot. Okay. This is today. We're okay. We're good. God's enough. We can remain here. I think this is where a lot of us are, and we need permission to know that that's enough. For us to hold on to faith and remain in Jesus is enough. It's hard enough. Doesn't mean God's not faithful. Just means circumstances are real. It's a worthy calling to hold on to Jesus. I believe this is the season that we're in here as a church. I believe that we are in this season of remaining. That we're letting go of what isn't our faith. That was once called faith. It just doesn't make sense, is it, anymore? That we're learning to breathe deeply. That we're resting, acknowledging that we have limits. We can't be everywhere at all times. And that, frankly, this city needs Jesus more than it needs our version of this church is everything we just need jesus that's really it we need to be loved we need to be cared for we're letting god restore us i believe that this church already is and will be a beautiful expression of jesus love but if there's two things that will stifle us i think they're both in this text that we just studied like the first thing that will stifle us is the fact that comparison kills and if we start to think, man, there's another community that does it better. There's another person that does it better. There, there's, and we start looking around for better or different. The reality is jealousy has to be seen as what it is. We can't underestimate it. If our eyes are on other people and comparing, our eyes are off of Jesus and what Jesus has for us. We can't live grateful.
Kentley present. And the second is we need to, to believe in the core of us that remaining is worthwhile work. Yes, there are people that will care for, there are ways that this church will serve, all of that kind of stuff. But really our work right now is like, what does faith mean? What does Jesus and I mean? What, what does it mean when I start to care about other people and, and we live this life next to it, one another? It is worthwhile work for an entire life. This is John's life. And it's not just that like it's better than nothing. No, Jesus says that is the life that bears fruit. And so maybe this week as an act of worship, you need to go for a walk or sit on your deck or your porch or take a nap or tell someone you don't have time to and you need help. Maybe you need to quit something to make more time to be alive. Maybe you need to call a friend or just be honest with Jesus. Whatever it takes to remain in him is faithful work. It's worthwhile work. It's the work that bears fruit. And I don't want anything less for you for this community.